0: Welcome to Getting Technetical, a Technetics podcast. Your source for insights on engineered ceiling and component solutions for the world's most demanding environments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting Technetical with Technetics. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us here for another episode of the show. Today on the show, I'm thrilled to welcome Jody Shelton. She's the co-founder and CEO of the Global Semiconductor Alliance. Jody, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks. It's great to be here. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. It's a, it's a thrill to have you on uh, the show today. So, Jody, let's just start things off. Uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Tell us a little bit more about your role at the Glob- Global Semiconductor Alliance.
1: Okay, so I'm one of the co founders of the GSA. We started in 1994, so we've been around for a little while. And uh, um, GSA stands for Global Semiconductor Alliance. And the organization is focused on bringing together the semiconductor leaders um, across the industry to globally collaborate across the entire ecosystem with the explicit goal of creating the most efficient and profitable industry possible. So for the GSA, you know, we represent the traditional semiconductor companies, but we also now represent software companies, solutions companies, systems companies, and service companies. So anybody that intersects that hardware part of the industry is part of GSA. So that may include companies like... Tesla and Ford and Nissan, because they, for Tesla, they actually make chips internally as well. But of course, they're big customers of the industry. So it's really anybody that intersects semiconductors that's part of the organization. So we represent the traditional fabulous companies. So companies that, you know, many people are familiar with, like NVIDIA and Qualcomm, AMD, MediaTek, the IDMs, like Intel, Infineon on Semiconductor, then the non-traditional companies that are doing hardware today, companies like Microsoft and Facebook and Amazon and Dell, with the goal of bringing together all the companies to have a voice at the table. And, you know, the one thing that I want to emphasize that I always talk about when I'm introducing GSA is to emphasize that we're a global organization. So we have a global board, global membership, and a global footprint so we're a neutral body that believes that global collaboration is the key to having an efficient industry and so that you know we're we're different than other organizations we don't take any any positions on policy for example we don't do any lobbying in washington or in beijing i mean we represent all the companies within our organization, so they may be U.S. companies, European companies, or Chinese companies. We do try to educate them on policy initiatives that are happening, but again, don't really take a position on policy.
0: That's really interesting. And so tell me a little bit then about the the current state of the industry as it relates to the global nature uh, of what it is that you do, because we've experienced some pretty significant global events over the last several years that I'm sure have had an impact on, on, on the things that you do.
1: Well, they certainly have. You know, I think that let's start with the good news. And the good news is, is that there really has never been a better time to be in the semiconductor industry. So growth is robust and sustainable, and the pace of innovation is accelerating rapidly. So if you look at our industry, we came out of the pandemic stronger than ever, which again, I I wouldn't have uh, predicted that when we closed down in March of 2020. But we have record revenue uh, in 2021 of $556 billion and expect over $600 billion this year. And all this is taking place during a supply crisis that tempered the growth that we actually could have had. And there are predictions that the industry will hit a trillion dollars by 2035. And again, it's, it's due to the acceleration of digitization, datification, virtualization, the metaverse, the, the other reason that it's a great time to be in the industry in term, uh, historically, I mean, I've been doing this, again, for a long time, but for the last, I don't know, 25 years, we we keep coming back to price, price, price. And if you look at our industry that's defined by Moore's Law, what that translates to is that we're like the most deflationary industry in the world. So for the first time, I'm happy to say that we're talking about the value of semiconductors Rather than the price, and then I then the, again the third reason that it's the greatest time to be um, in the industry is just the technological innovation um, that's yeah. driving semiconductor technology. Again, quantum computing, five G, IoT, cloud—all these things we hear about—and and I it was very interesting. Jensen Huang, who's the CEO of NVIDIA, recently uh, made this statement that. For the first time in our industry, we're not limited by the number of people on earth, okay? So in other words, we're always looking at, okay, how many PCs can we sell? How many gadgets can we sell? How many cell phones? But when you're talking about AI and cloud, it really means that we can grow far beyond the physical limitations, which again, gets you pretty excited about about what's going on in the industry.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Now, one of the other things that has been discussed quite a bit around the topic uh, of, of the semiconductor industry has been uh, the global supply chain, which has been a, a, challenge by, a challenge for across every industry, really, in one way or another. Tell us about just the, the latest in supply chain disruptions and also support that you're receiving when it comes to uh, supply chain.
1: So, you know, our, this, is, this is such an interesting industry, and I, I actually don't even like using supply chain when we talk about the industry, even though we all do. Again, we, we know right. what we're talking about. But this is such an incredibly complex and globally connected industry that it's not the same as other industries. You can't just bring up another supplier. First of all, they may not exist for the technology that you need. And, and it's just incredibly complex how the, the whole process of semiconductor manufacturing. So it's, and it's a very, it's a very difficult process. So one of the things that, um, that I always like to, to come back to when talking about the, uh, the supply shortage basically that's happened is that, you know, we, we talk a lot about the shortage and and we connect that to, uh, to what's happening in Asia or what's happening in China. And we, we say, okay, um, the current supply chain shortage is being caused by the geographical concentration of manufacturing in Asia. So the fact that U.S. doesn't do it manufacturing anymore, that must be the reason that we're having problems with our supply chain. And I'm sure that you've heard the much-repeated stat that the U.S. has declined from having 37% of semiconductor manufacturing to only 12% today. And that sounds pretty ominous when when you look at it like that. But i want to clarify a couple of things that one, the u s. still dominates this industry, okay? We dominate it in the in terms of the of revenue of profitability and innovation. I mean, we are the envy of the world when it comes to when it comes to semiconductor companies, okay? So again, separated the, from manufacturing, but again, the most valuable companies in the world are right here in the u s. so We when again when we look at the supply chain, it's not because manufacturing is located in Taiwan. It's simply because we don't have enough manufacturing. Okay. So the the shortage that we're experiencing even still today was caused by a confluence of factors. Okay. So most of them being very Mm -hmm. positive. We you had the acceleration of digitization, fast pace of innovation and adoption of innovation simultaneously, and in some cases, years before we thought it would happen, and then a surprising V-shaped recovery uh, with our economy. And all this happened after a couple of years of declining capital investment. In 2019, Mm -hmm. CapEx was down 15%. And if you look at older technologies for manufacturing, then it's it's even uh, more brutal uh, overall capex in the last ten years have been has been primarily focused on advanced technology instead of standard products so in many of the cases, the supply strains that we're having right now, even with uh, for example with cars or with Apple computers, is the this older technology so it, it's just it's been a lack of investment um, again it d- doesn't matter whether the uh, Fabs are in the US or in Europe or in China or in Taiwan, there's just simply has not been enough of it with again with the booming industry that perhaps none of us expected to happen so quickly. And then, of course, you then you have the overhang of the trade war between the us and China. So that m- means that China capacity, is basically taken off the table, and a lot of that capacity is this older technology that we're having the biggest shortages on. So, again, we're we're not even able to to access supply from uh, companies like SMIC in China.
0: That's that's really interesting. So, what is the path forward then from uh, from these sorts of challenges and what you're seeing in these areas?
1: Well, the the number right now is that there are 150 fabs that are in some Point of construction or getting started mm-hmm. right now. So what that would mean is the potential to double revenue in the next two or three years, and we all know that that's not going to happen. Again, we're a six hundred billion dollar industry. It doesn't. Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't double. Maybe by again, I gave that one trillion dollar by two thousand thirty-five. So, you know, I think that it's definitely a concern, and you know, the the shortage that we're talking about definitely exposed legitimate um structural and geographical concentration concerns okay so again the leading edge technology it, it's something like almost 90% of that manufacturing is done in taiwan and so i think that you know now the us has decided that they really do want to be competitive and they've offered a lot of incentives for uh, for companies to do fabs here doesn't really do anything for the short term for sure but I think in the, um, the long term that these, you know, that we can get these fabs uh, up and going. And, you know, I, I think that the kind of public-private partnership that the U.S. wants to see is underway.
0: That's that's really interesting to to learn about and, and to discuss, and I, I think just really really fascinating to see what what the future holds. And, and like you said, a massive industry, hard to see it doubling quite like that. But you're you're absolutely <laughs> right. Like it's it's exciting to see that that kind of growth and that sort of thing. So, what can you tell us about the the woman leadership initiative? Tell us about some of the tell us a little bit about the background of that program
1: and some of the goals. Okay, I will. You know, I've been as we've already discussed. I, I've been doing this for a long time, and sure, you know yeah. uh, what I, you know, ha, took as just a a fact was that this industry is very male dominated. There was, you know, many many times, ninety percent of the time that um, that I was the only woman in the room, and so I working on this women's leadership initiative has certainly been one of the most rewarding things that I've done in my career. And it's it's very interesting because if you talk to most CEOs today, they all point to the, the risk for our industry in the long-term is the lack of talent in our industry, okay? That there's just not enough. There's not a big enough yeah. pipeline. So, you know, when you're talking about trying to develop talent and, and bring people into the semiconductor industry, you look at the fact that women only make up around 10% of the technical talent at semiconductor companies. So, the, you know, up until right. now, really, they were absolutely just being ignored. They weren't being developed. They're, you know, it's rare to find uh, women in in the C-suite in this industry, And I think that, you know, a lot of people are are concerned with talent, need to say, okay, well, 50% of our population has been absolutely ignored when it comes to this industry. So again, the great news is, though, is everybody wants to see this happen. And so what what the Women's Leadership Initiative is, uh, is really focused on is applying the spirit of Moore's Law, which catapulted innovation by doubling the performance of electronics to signify significantly increase the number of women in leadership roles in our industry the capital dedicated to women-led startups and the number of STEM focused female candidates joining the industry so what we've got to do is we've got to go out to universities and make sure that at least the women that are already on that STEM path consider semiconductors as a as a potential career and i think that in order to do that, they've got to see women in power in this industry. They've got to see people that they relate to, and so we, we've we have worked very hard on this whole image campaign for the industry and making it mm-hmm. uh, more accessible to uh, to women that are uh, at the university level. And so once we attract these women to the industry, then we have to really figure out how to retain them. So we have to understand what the best practices for companies to nurture, network mentor and promote women to ensure that companies are uh, are having a path and a platform for these women. And so we've seen great things so far with, with the initiative. We have probably one of the most important technical conferences, and it's called WISH, that happens in September. And it's going to be all women that are leading this conference. So in other words, it's a typical semiconductor hardware technical conference. It just so happens that all the people on stage, all the people on panels are women. So it's it's a great conference. We have, again, we have a lot of social media campaigns to, to promote um, the women that are in the industry and to, for them to share their stories about why they decided to join the industry, uh, what it means to have a career in semiconductors, what they're really doing to design the solution for the problems that exist in this world. Okay, so whether it's climate change, whether it's endemic poverty, so many of the solutions are going to be based on the foundational technology in semiconductors. So I think it's an opportunity for women to say, okay, I really can change the world. I can design the solution to the problems we face. And by the way, I will just plug that there's a website called designthesolution.org that's for women in the industry that I think that that your audience would really enjoy.
0: That is fantastic. Uh, designthesolution.org, is that yes, right? Yes, yes. Perfect. Yeah, uh, make sure to head to that website, uh, everyone, just to learn more about this initiative. And you're absolutely right. So. Just listening to you talk about that, what, what was it like then for you to be a co-founder then of the Global Semiconductor Alliance when you did found it? If the industry has been so male-dominated for so long, tell us a little bit about just that kind of groundbreaking journey for you then.
1: You know, I feel I feel very lucky in my career. I mean, I've had the opportunity to work with the brightest minds, you know, really on the face of the earth. I mean, if you look at the semiconductor industry this is where an unbelievable amount of brain power is. Okay, and it's you know it's it's a tough industry, and so the the people that I've met, the people that I've learned from, it's it's just been an exceptional journey. And yes, so in many cases, I was the only woman in the room. Our organization primarily deals with CEOs, and there are, there have just been traditionally very few. CEOs that are that are women, of course. Now we have you know one of the most famous CEOs in the world uh, running AMD, Dr. Lisa Su. So she's been a huge inspiration to to a lot of people. So I don't really think that there is you know really any big basis for sexism in this in this industry. I mean, I've really never experienced any. So I think it is just the fact that there haven't been enough platforms for women or opportunities or women being able to see themselves doing this job because there haven't been there haven't been very many before them. So I think that this this initiative is going to change that to some extent, we hope. And I mean I think that we again we've already seen a lot of a lot of progress and you know the CEOs in this industry are 100 commit 100% committed to this. Which I think that if it would have started, you know, six years ago, or we would wait two more years, that that would not be the case. But I have to mm-hmm. say that there's just been that the industry has really embraced this. They want to see inclusion. They want to figure out what they're doing to keep women out and what they can do better to provide that path to women to to a leadership position. So I do think that they are trying, and uh, and the the CEOs are committed to it. And and we find that. Ultimately, the CEO has to be committed in order to see real change.
0: That's a that's a really good point, and I think a good, yeah, a good thing to to say on this this particular topic. Absolutely. So, Jody, as we start to to wrap up our conversation today, um, just just getting a sense of the growth of the semiconductor industry and everything that the Global Semiconductor Alliance is doing uh, to benefit the industry and benefit these companies. Do you have any final thoughts? Anything you want to share with listeners just about uh, the the things that are going on, the trends that you're seeing, and and the ways that that you're working to help uh, see this growth in the industry? Any final thoughts that you want to leave people with today?
1: I think that, you know, again, as I I stated earlier, there's never been a better time to be in the semiconductor industry. And there's so many amazing things going on, but there are also a lot of concerns. So, you know, the, the ongoing trade war between the U.S. and China with Taiwan really in the middle of that conversation is a big problem. And even if you set the Taiwan question aside, just the decoupling of these two huge economies ultimately hurt our industry. And Mm -hmm. two Mm -hmm. closed ecosystems would be the most untenable and the worst possible outcome. But even partial open and partially closed is, is problematic. And so what I mean by that is just imagine that if every region wanted to do what the U.S. has stated that it wants to do and what China has made clear that it wants to do, which is... To be self-sufficient and have their own ecosystem in their own region. Okay, so you can just imagine that if everybody wants to duplicate that ecosystem, it's it's going to create inefficiencies. It's going to slow innovation. It's going to take money away from R and D. And so, again, I think it's legitimate for companies for countries to want to participate in this boom for sure. I mean, I, I understand that, but I think that what we have to be careful about is when company when countries like India and Saudi Arabia and Russia. And I I can't even tell you the other, uh, the list of the other countries that are seriously looking at manufacturing. So I think that, uh, I think that we just have to be very careful. Duplicative ecosystems can be harmful and untenable for investments. And so I think that we really have to be uh, very concerned with that and make sure that we've figure out how to tone down the rhetoric and <laughs> and and see what made this industry great which by the way is global collaboration. So when you know when we started the organization in 1994 we started it to advocate for this fabulous foundry business model where you would disintegrate The design from the manufacturing. Okay, so it didn't, it's not like that this just suddenly happened. We didn't wake up bewildered that all the manufacturing is in Taiwan. This was actually a very well thought through strategy. And Taiwan was just the most efficient place for the foundry industry to grow. And by the way, that has helped, really helped the US semiconductor industry you know, with companies like Qualcomm and NVIDIA that all came out of this kind of fabulous strategy.
0: That's really, really fascinating and really interesting stuff. And I'm curious to see how things continue to develop and grow into the future and I know the Global Semiconductor Alliance will be a big part of that. Jody Shelton, co-founder and CEO of GSA. Jody, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today and uh, sharing more about the work of the Global Semiconductor Alliance and the, the current state of the industry.
1: All right. Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Getting Technical with Technetics. We appreciate it very much. Of course, for more, uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to stay up to date with the latest and stay tuned. We'll be back soon with new episodes of the show. But for this one, for my guest today, Jody Shelton, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us.